0: The rest of us in here will be in Ephesians and, and chapter two of Ephesians. Uh, we started out Ephesians last week. Um, and last week we saw, uh, as Paul presented for us, the before and after story that comes with the gospel who we were before Christ and who we are now because of who Christ is. Uh, this morning we're going to hear some words, words that many of us, you, you may have at some point, uh, dedicated some or all of these verses to memory at some point or another. Um, As we see Paul give a beautiful summary of the gospel, maybe one of the most beautiful in all of scripture. And as we do so, I want us to see uh, three main things as we move our way forward. Um, First, we're going to see the amazing words. Then we'll see that these amazing words, they come from an amazing source. And then finally, that they are for an amazing purpose. So let's look to the word now, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be present with us now, we pray. Convict us through your word. Point us. To the gospel, we pray. Convince our hearts more and more of the truth of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Since it's getting warm outside, I couldn't help but think of a Christmas story as I was um, thinking of our sermon this morning. Uh, You know, the one that just kind of seems to play on repeat uh, at Christmas um, with Ralphie. Uh, And Ralphie, one, one of the issues he has is with a big bully, Scott. Uh, Farkas. And, and at one point in the movie, Ralphie's had enough, right? And, and those of you who remember it, I mean, he just starts beating up uh, Scott Farkas with just, just savageness. And in the midst of it, bloody nose, blood everywhere. He's also cussing, saying every word imaginable under the sun. And it's into that context that his mom suddenly comes, right? And, and pulls him off, sends him home, sends him to his room as he awaits the judgment of his father, Okay, Uh, his brother, Randy, is crying underneath the sink, and his mom goes to him and says, Randy, why are you crying? And Randy sobs, Daddy is going to kill Ralphie. He he knows what's going to happen, and mom, no, that's not going to happen, but as she walks away, you can see the the fear on her face. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen, right? A little bit later, they're all seated at the dinner table, and dad asks, what happened today? And Ralphie realizes the moment has come, right? His death is before him. And surprisingly, his mother just immediately interjects. And she says, nothing much. Ralphie got into a little fight. And tensions suddenly begin to rise, and Dad says, a fight? What what kind of fight? She says, oh, you know how boys are. I gave him a good talking to. And he says, oh, I see the Bears are playing the Packers on Sunday. And he just immediately brushes by, and, and Ralphie begins to smile And he says to himself, I slowly realized that I was not about to be destroyed. Uh, From then on, things were different between me and my mother. You see, what did his mom do? He he deserved punishment. He he deserved the wrath, but his mom stepped in with mercy to him. We see a much more incredible stepping in this morning in our passage. What do we read? Verse 2 and 8. In fact, it's a a repeat from verse 5 that we looked at last week with one additional phrase, for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Grace, an incredible word, isn't it? We see these three words, grace, save, faith. Grace, this word, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago, we we typically, we think of it as unmerited favor, right? When you get something that you don't deserve, but, but do remember that there's something more here. Because we're getting something that we don't deserve when we actually deserve wrath. When we actually deserve demerit, it's not as though we're just sitting around, you know, innocent, and he brings grace to us. He brings it when we deserve the opposite. Remember it from last week, right? What do we we read? We're born, what, dead in our trespasses and sins, and and we once lived according to the the, the ways of the world, and we we, we followed the evil one, and, and we gave in to our fleshly desires. And what was the result of all that? Paul told us that we are by nature, what? children of wrath, living in alienation from God, rightfully deserving his displeasure. And what happens? God enters into the picture in an incredibly just grace-filled way. And he brings new life, new life to those who deserve wrath. That's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see, because it's by grace. Better yet, it is. (laughs) Better yet, it's by the one who is grace that what did Paul say that we are, you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. Now, there's something interesting there. When when I was um, in college, I, I was a history major, so all we did was read books, and write lots. That's that's what we did. And inevitably, I get these papers back, and even though it's just history, I would get these papers back, and they would be covered with red writing, you know, from the professor who's corrected all sorts of things, and inevitably, a a tendency I have, is to write in the passive voice. Right? Does any of you remember what the passive voice is? You know, when the subject is the thing that the the verb acts upon instead of the, the, the subject doing the action. Right? And so, when you write in passive voice, it's not as powerful, there's not as much action, and I was constantly criticized for it. What do we see Paul do here? He's speaking in the passive voice. Did you notice it? You, he says, you have been saved. And Paul here, he's using the passive voice, but instead of making the language weaker, as we're often told if you've ever had a paper graded like that, it actually makes it incredibly strong stronger than it could possibly be, because what is Paul saying? Paul is making crystal clear that you, y'all even, that that y'all, are, that, that, that that y'all have been saved, Paul says, and you're not the ones doing the saving. You're not the ones who are doing the action. You are having the action upon yourselves. It's beautiful, because remember, who were we? We were dead in our trespasses, rightly deserving God's wrath and it's then that God's grace comes onto the scene with that incredible rescue. God in Christ goes to the ones who've offended him, who, who want nothing to do with him, who hurl insults at him, who constantly sin against him. I mean, can you just imagine somebody that, like that in your life? I, hopefully none of us have anybody like that in our life. But just imagine somebody just constantly hurled insults, constantly sinned against you, was never for your good, constantly offending you, constantly sinning against you. I think we can at least think of how we might treat, how we might think about that person, right? We, We probably wouldn't think too kindly of them. But God, as we read last week, but God, by grace, comes to those who have offended him so greatly, and he, he comes to us and he saves us, making us alive together with Christ, saving us from, from sin and death and wrath, that which we rightly deserve, saving us both from the penalty for our sin and also from the power of sin itself. And Paul says that this incredible, this amazing grace, he says, is what? It's, it's received how? Through faith. Through faith. Now, what is this faith? We need to think about this for a minute. The author of Hebrews says this, now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what we do not see. But still, what is, it? What is this faith? And I want to just think of three aspects of it real quick that I think are helpful for us. First, faith has knowledge, right? In order to have faith, you, you must know who Jesus is. You must know what Jesus has done. You must know what he has the power to do in your life, right? But let's be careful. This knowledge isn't just like earthly knowledge, okay? It's not just information in our head because remember what does James say in James 2? You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So it's more than that, okay? It's a knowledge that's not just in our head. It's a knowledge that must penetrate to the very depths of our heart. And it's not a knowledge that can just be seen by anyone. It's a knowledge that, that actually re- requires that, that we experience the new birth, that we be born again so that we can really see it. Thomas Goodwin, an old Puritan, he put it this way. Spiritual things, thinking about like salvation, spiritual things may be set out by the words to the reason and to the fancies of men so as to take them in. So he says, anybody can like read the words on the page, right? But we do not know them. We don't truly know them, nor see them, until we see them purely and nakedly by an impression the Holy Ghost makes upon us that conveys the proper and native and natural images to us. He says it, it takes something more than just seeing the words on the page that tell us the wonder of what Jesus did. Anybody can read a book that explains the gospel, there's something more going on. Uh, Goodwin, he, he uses the illustration of, of somebody who's studying music. And, and, and they take out a songbook that has the song before them with the notes and everything. And, and, and they begin to learn the art of music. And you can learn something from books about it. You might be able to begin to learn what harmonies are and proportions. But Goodwin says this is all artificial harmony. It's not real harmony until what? Real harmony. The ear only takes in when the lesson is sung. It takes more than just reading. It has to be sung. It has to be heard through the ears in a way that transforms one. It's not just knowledge on a page, but knowledge that actually comes in and does work in one's heart. So it's knowledge, but it's also assent. It's assent to that knowledge that we have. Assent means, though, that we have submission to it, right? So what is it that we're submitting to? We're submitting to Jesus as our Savior. When we have faith, we're, we're recognizing that he is the one who provides precisely what we need. And he is the only one who can provide precisely what we need. But not just going to him and not just believing that he is our Savior. But also submitting to him as Lord. What does Paul say in Romans 10? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. So, so this incent, assent means that we are submitting to him both as our Savior, but also as the Lord of our life and willingly submitting ourselves to him. So faith is knowledge, it's assent, and lastly, it's trust. Lastly, it's trust, that is. Um, finding our confidence in Christ. Confidence that he has really accomplished what he says he has accomplished, what the gospel says that He's accomplished. A trust that rests not in ourselves, okay? Faith doesn't rest in itself. Faith rests in the one in whom we put our faith. That rests in Christ. You see, this kind of trust, it's not self-relying trust. It trusts in the person, Jesus Christ. So faith, knowledge, assent, trust, all these things build together, and we have this beautiful phrase before us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. But Paul wants us to know clearly it comes from an amazing source. Um, Philip Yancey um, uh, speaks, uh, he's a popular Christian writer, he he speaks about Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin, one of the things he did, if you know anything about him, like he loved his virtues, right? He had all of his virtues, and he he liked trying really hard to to get better at his virtues, and he'd have a notebook, and and each week he would take a different virtue, and, and he would record every time that he messed up, every time that he messed up with that virtue, and he didn't do well with it. And you know what happened? Over time, what did he do? He began to get a little better at his virtues, But then he noticed something. He he found that he was struggling now with something else. He began to struggle with pride. He began to struggle with another virtue. He began to be proud of how good he was becoming. Paul, in our passage this morning, wants to make sure that as we understand how incredible grace is, that we don't get puffed up in and of ourselves that we don't begin to, to, to have, have pride enter into our hearts. What does he say? He says, and this, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He says, this is a gift from God. Now, we got to ask the question, well, what is this? Right? I mean, um, Not to get too technical, but what is this as antecedent? You know, what what is it referring to? And there has been a lot of ink spilled on this, and I don't want to trouble you with it. Okay? Does this refer to faith? Does it refer to salvation? Or does this refer all the way back to the beginning of grace? And what I would say is that I don't think it refers to any of those words particularly. What Paul is talking about is the whole package. He's talking about that whole salvation event. He's saying, do you want to know what what is a gift for you? For by grace you have been saved through faith. That whole thing comes to you and to I as a gift. It's all grace, you see. None of these things find their origin in ourselves. Instead, they come to us as an undeserved gift for those who rightly deserve demerit. And how does he say it's a gift? Verse 8 and 9, he says, not your own doing, not your own doing, not a result of works. Paul makes it 100% clear, right? That, that we bring what? We, we bring nothing to the table. I mean, we bring our sin, but, but we have nothing positive to bring to our table. We have no works to, to bring to him. Our problem, of course, is, is what are we tempted so often to do? think that we do have something to bring to the table tempted to think, well, if I do X, he's going to have to be at least somewhat happy with me. I mean, I understand I may not be saved by it, but come on. I mean, I'm doing at least a little something here. Or that when we go and we do Y, then we suddenly begin to think, well, he's never, he could never love me anymore. And when we do that, we are misunderstanding grace. We've, com- we've completely missed it. We've completely, we've completely missed the incredible gift That it is to us, not coming to us because we've worked hard enough, not coming to us because we've become good enough, but coming to us surely as a gift, a gift that is in no way deserved. Now, as we we think about this coming as a gift, you might think, okay, well, I can get how grace is a gift because that's kind of in the name, you know, it's kind of in the very definition of it. And and I get how I'm saved by, by that, that's a gift. Because he's the one who pulls me up. He's the one who saves. He's the one who breathes new life in me. But, but what about faith? I mean, come on. Isn't faith my contribution? And Paul says to us, that too is a gift from God. And this isn't the only place that he says it. In Philippians 1, he says this. And, 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 and note where I've underlined here. He says, for it has been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. What does he say has been granted to us? That we might believe. Paul's saying the same thing in a different way. That this faith we need to understand. That even our faith itself, even our reaching out and crying out to God, even that in and of itself, it comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He's at work at every step and as we think about this faith, we need to understand what it really is. And as we've talked about it, if this faith, it's, it's just a response, okay? Faith is a response. It's not a contribution to our salvation. There's an important difference there. John Murray puts it this way. It is to be remembered that the efficacy, that is the, the power, the, the, the thing that's actually able to get something done, the efficacy of faith does not reside in itself. Faith is not something that merits the favor of God. All the efficacy unto salvation resides where? In the Savior. All of it resides in Jesus. As one has aptly put and truly stated, get this, it is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes another step. Strictly speaking, it's not even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ it saves through faith. It's an important distinction. The specific character of faith is that it looks away from itself and it finds its whole interest and object in Christ. He is the preoccupation, the absorbing preoccupation of faith. This, in a way, it helps us to kind of complete what we were talking about earlier with regards to faith. You see, faith is not what saves us. It's merely an instrument by which we submit ourselves to him. Our faith, just think about it, it has nothing. Faith is like recognizing, I got nothing. And putting everything to the one in whom our faith is in. Faith looks not to itself. Faith doesn't look at itself and, oh, my faith is growing and it's growing so strong. Faith does not look to itself. Faith looks where? Faith looks to Christ and to his finished work. This faith. Paul tells us. It comes to us as a gift. We talked last week about how we're given this new birth. We're we're made alive in Christ. Those who are spiritually dead are resurrected. We're, We're regenerated. We're given new life, right? And when we're given that new life, what happens? The scales fall from our eyes and our ears. And the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts as we see and we hear the gospel for the very first time. We hear the song. We talked about that earlier, right? It's, it's suddenly for the first time after he's brought you back to life, you can suddenly hear the song for the very first time. And it's not as though Holy Spirit at that moment is like forcing you. There's no force needed. Because it's at that moment you're seeing the beauty of the gospel for the very first time. And it's irresistible. You can't help but say yes to it. You want to say yes to it. And as Paul speaks about all of this, he wants to make sure of something really important, and that we get it right, that this gift that is brought to us by Christ, it gives us no reason to boast, does it? He says, so that it's given as a gift, in fact, so that we won't boast. And we have a problem with boasting, don't we? All we have to do is look at social media, right? Facebook, Instagram, wherever. It's just a boast fest, right? Sometimes you might even try to be like humble with your boast and you kind of do a humble brag, you know? I'm so humbled that my child got into Harvard. (laughs) What are you saying? Yours didn't, you know? Um, That's what you're really saying. And what happens when nobody likes your post Nobody comments. We we begin to see where our identity really lies. We love to boast. And our problem is that boasting, it doesn't just come in those kind of areas of our lives. On Facebook, it, it can come to our salvation as well. And we can begin to think that in some way we bring something to God, but when we come to God on that last day, we have nothing that we can bring. We can't say, oh, God, but I, but I tried really hard and I've been really good. We, no, we, we, we have nothing to bring. And we're blessed in here and this morning. I think that many in here, like we, we theologically, we're, we're astute, many of us, and, and we get that. And we understand, what, you know, that grace really comes to us in that way and, and that there's really nothing we can do. And on the last day, we stand before God and we can really say it's all Jesus, right, and all his work. But, but what do we do? So often that's not how we really live. We really think that there are things in us that can commend us to God. Reasons why he owes us a little bit more maybe than others, you know. I mean, we've been doing this for a while, God. You, you owe me a little something. Or things like, our, you know, God, I've, you know, I've been really good lately with my devotional time we begin to think that these things somehow earn us something before him. Just think, do you, do you remember that parable of the wage earners in the vineyard? I think it tells a lot about our heart. The way, you know, just imagine you were one of those wage earners in the vineyard. How would you react if you were hired at 6 a.m.? So you remember the story. So, so the, 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 the vineyard owner goes out at 6 a.m. in the morning and hires a bunch of laborers, says, I'm going to pay you one denaro. You know, one day's worth of wage. And then you get to work, and then, and then some others come in. He goes back out at 9 a.m., and he hires some more, and he brings them into vineyard. And then he does it again at 12, 12 p.m. at noon. And then at 3 p.m., he goes and he hires some more. And then when there's only one hour of the work day left, at 5 p.m., he goes out and he hires a few more. Then what happens? The end of the day comes, and he starts paying the individuals. Starting with those he'd hired just at 5 p.m., and he gives them a whole denarius. And then the 3 p.m., and he just gives them a denarius. And, and what happens with those who've been working so long? What do you begin to do? This isn't fair. What does Jesus say? Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And I am, not allow, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me of my generosity? I have a feeling sometimes we begrudge God of his generosity because we we think somehow, well, we've earned it. We've been working since 6 a.m. or maybe 9 a.m. or whatever. Like, we, we think we deserve it more. You see, we have this tendency, I think, to struggle to really believe that it's by grace that you have been saved. We think we have some contribution. We got something to bring, that there's some merit in us, and Paul won't have any of it. Paul talks a whole lot about boasting in his letters, some 52 times, okay? He's constantly talking about it, and there's two kinds of boasting. There's the one boasting that is in oneself, okay? Now, boasting that Paul used to struggle with as he commended himself, as he looked to how good, he, Paul. Paul was good, and he knew that he was good. He was filled up with pride. He boasted in himself big time. Do you find yourself boasting in yourself, in your own works, in your own stuff? Or the second type of Paul's boasting that we see in Scripture, boasting, a boasting that is in Christ. And you see, a correct understanding of the gospel, where does it lead? It leads to a correct type of boasting. It leads to what Paul says in Galatians 6.14, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the gospel leads us. If we really understand it, the boasts begin to fall off of the things of this world and ourselves and looking to ourselves as as the ones who merit something before God because we've been working 6 6 a.m. We begin to boast not in ourselves, but boast in the one who has saved us. John Calvin puts it this way. Faith cannot be truly preached Without wholly depriving man of all praise by ascribing all to God's mercy. You see, that's what true faith does. True faith takes all praise that would be directed towards us, and where does it put it? It ports us towards God, the one who is so gracious and so merciful. And all of this, Paul tells us, is for an amazing purpose, for an amazing purpose, verse 10. For we, or his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here, Paul's speaking of what? He's speaking of our sanctification. That's, that, that's where we die more and more to sin, live more and more to Christ. It's, it's about how those who are saved grow. And those who are saved, what do you do? Paul says, you do good works. As one commentator puts it, good works in the life of a believer is not incidental or optional it's a necessary outcome those who were once dead are now brought back to newness of life and what do you do you walk with your savior but we must get the order right paul very intentionally puts it in the order that he does in our passage this morning because good works flow from what they flow from our salvation okay we do not do good works to be saved we do good works because we are saved. Now, Paul says this, I think, because there was a troubling notion, and it seemed to follow Paul because we see it in many of his letters, is I think he was often accused of sloppy grace. What do I mean? You know, some of us think, and maybe you even thought it before, well, well if it, we really are saved by grace alone then we can go and we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want because it doesn't matter because we're saved by by grace alone. And no, Paul says, to say that is to completely misunderstand grace. Grace does not free people to do whatever they want. It's an abuse of the doctrine, in fact. Instead, what grace does is it frees us. It, It frees us to follow Jesus To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Because he first loved us. You see, the picture painted here is that the Savior, what does he do? The Savior comes in. He saves us. He rescues those who are dead. He brings us back to life. We say yes to him. and, And what? He sets us on the road. And he sets us on the road in the right direction. And the one who saved our soul bids You and I to come follow him. But let's make sure we understand. We are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. If you get that mixed up, you get that messed up, it's not the gospel any longer. You've done violence to the gospel itself. And our problem is as we seek to do this correctly, as we, we, we seek to, to do good works because we are saved, flowing out of who we are in Christ, to, to love because he first loved us, as, as this begins to work its way out in our life, if, well, I won't put this on you. I'll just talk about myself here for a moment. You know, there are things that I can see myself sometimes beginning to do because, because Christ has so loved me and I see things changing and, and I begin to do good works for him and it's because, just because I love him. But then as I I follow a little bit farther down the path, something seems to inevitably happen. As I begin to look at these things that I've begun to do for good motivations and good reasons at first, and I begin to twist them and I begin to turn them. And I begin to think that somehow these are the reasons why Jesus will love me, why he has to love me. Do you find yourselves twisted in that way? We seem to have this, this, this thing where, this natural tendency where we just keep going back to good works in this bad way of thinking somehow they save us. And we must understand and we must get it right, no, these are things that flow out of who we are because of who we are in Christ, because of what our Savior has done for us. I think we suffer the same problem of the Galatians. Um, we're going to just jump into the middle. Just, just hear Paul's words to the Galatians. He's upset with them. He says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirits by the work of the law or by hearing with faith? And, of course, their answer was going would be, of course, it's by the spirit with faith. And he then says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, how did you begin? And, and we need to ask ourselves, how do we begin? We began by a work of the spirit, with faith, right? By grace we have been saved through faith. How is it that we are to continue? We're to continue in that same way, by the work of the Spirit with faith. You see, faith that doesn't rest in us trying really hard to be good, that ultimately rests in him and His goodness and rests in the work of Holy Spirit even in our lives, not in ourselves. And don't miss what Paul, I think, is saying. I think, in a sense, he's saying even our good works are a gift. Did you see how he said it? Let's look at it again back in verse 10. What does he say? He says, We are his workmanship. Who's the workman? His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Do you see it? Do you see who's at work? Even in the midst of our good works, even as we're called to follow him, he is at work through it, through the power and the work of his spirit so that we can be confident that Paul was correct in Philippians 1 when he said, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know that to be true? Paul here has shared with us the wonder the beauty of the gospel, these these beautiful words that come from an amazing source for an incredible purpose in our lives. And when we can understand this gospel, this good news and how it comes to us as a gift, things begin to change in us. When we begin to understand that it is truly by grace alone that we are saved and that it comes through faith alone alone And faith that doesn't trust in itself, but faith that trusts in what? Christ alone. And when we begin to really grasp that it's not by works. It's not by us trying really hard to be really good, but through his work in us. Then we are freed to what? To stop boasting in ourselves. And we're freed up to begin to boast in the Savior of our souls. Will you try that on this week? Will you try on the implications that this comes to us as a gift, a free gift of God, lest no one should boast? And would you try on this idea of stop boasting in ourselves, boasting in who we are in this world, boasting, most importantly, in who we are before Christ, and try on boasting in him. Boasting in the one who has done it all for us, boasting in our incredible Savior, Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, the one in whom we trust, the one who has done that which we cannot do. Would you begin to learn to boast in him? And as you do, this is what's so amazing, because none of us will do that perfectly this week. And what will we find ourselves doing but boasting? in ourselves, boasting in our flesh. And even then, we need to be reminded, even then, the truths of the gospel are still true of us if we have truly come to him by faith. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We confess sometimes it's hard to believe that the good news of the gospel is truly true for us. We constantly put ourselves back on the treadmill thinking that there's something that we can do to make you happy with us or happier with us. Oh Father, would you disabuse us of that notion? Oh, and would you help us to learn to have faith that rests in the one who did it all? not in and of ourselves. Oh, Father, that we would learn even this week more and more the language of our heart to boast in you, the Savior of our soul. Would you be doing this work in us? Holy Spirit, would you continue the transformative work of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.